Hi, this is Patrick Rivera, the Director of the Office for Young Adult Ministries here in the Diocese of San Diego. This podcast is brought to you from one of our Theology on Tap recordings. Our Theology on Taps are just one part of the many various events and gatherings we sponsor here in the diocese throughout the year. If you're new to San Diego or would like to hear more about our gatherings and the ways in which we actively engage in ministry, please stay tuned till the end of the podcast for more information from our Associate Director, Pamela Poe. In the meantime, I want to wish you a wonderful day and may God bless you always. I just want to say a few brief things about Matt. So Matt Reggett and I met about two or three years ago. We were part of the Young Adult speaker team at the Steubenville 1823 conference, and it was such a blessing to meet a guy like Matt who kind of had a very similar story when it came to where I was in my faith journey and my faith experience. You know, he, he's married. His wife Stephanie's here with them. They have more than one or two kids. Uh, a beautiful family. Four kids? Five? Four. And Matt just continues to be a, a well-known speaker in the way that he wraps in kind of something that we saw last week with Erica's talk. She kind of wrapped in just like everyday, ordinary experience with the beauty that God presented her with. And I have seen that numerous times in Matt's talks, how he's found goodness, even in some of life's tragedies, but he's also wrapped that sort of goodness into who he is as a Christian man and father, and especially a spouse. So without further ado, I'm going to let VJ open us up in a prayer, and then Matt will come on up here and start his talk. Thank you, Lord. Tonight we just cry out with our hearts, with our very beings, that you are good. And Lord, sometimes we don't see that goodness, we're not aware of that goodness, but it doesn't change who you are. So tonight, Lord, even if our hearts are struggling with experiencing that, we're just going to claim that that is the truth. We're going to claim, Lord, that we want to know that at the deepest level possible. Because where we find your goodness and the truth of your goodness, it reveals to us that we too are good. Lord, reveal that to us tonight about ourselves, that we are good, that we are yours. Thank you, Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Y'all have a seat. You know, give it up for VJ. Thank you. We were praying beforehand, and she just has this spirit of like, service and, and, and giving this gift back to God. And as one uh, professed bad singer... I was like, okay, I can sing. She gave me permission to sing. So thank you, VJ. So it's good to be here in uh, sunny California. And uh, there's a lot, you know, we're talking about goodness tonight. And I think this is like one of those misunderstood words. We'll talk a little bit about that. But I got to tell you first um, how I relate to this. Like I'm, I wanted VJ to sing that because I wanted to start us in prayer. But I'm also reminding myself as a dad that I'm a good dad. Because my kids don't always tell me that I'm a good dad. And the world doesn't tell me that I'm a good dad, but I know that I'm a good dad. I want to give you an example. So, like, uh, I do things with my kids that my wife does not do with my kids. 
right? Like my wife is the best caretaker for our children. Like when they get sick, which actually happened the night before we flew here, my daughter comes downstairs with a fever. She rolls over and says to me, my wife says, I can't go. I can't go to California. I got to stay home. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's just sick. Didn't go over very well. But she's the best caretaker. Like, she sacrifices everything of who she is for for our children and for me. Sometimes I feel like I'm competing with the children for the sacrifice, but she does it so much, like, I don't know how she has any more to give. My wife gives and gives and gives. I don't know why it doesn't run out, this giving she has. But for me, like, I have to work at that a little bit more. Not because I don't love my children or my wife, but, like, we're wired a little differently. And if you meet my wife tonight, you'll, you're, how did you, end, like, why are you with him? So what happened was, my wife went to the store, and she left me with all the kids. And, like, I used to call that babysitting, but they're my kids, so, like, I can't call that babysitting, right? I'm, do, I'm dad, right? So she reminds me, like, this isn't babysitting. They're half your fault. The bad habits are all your fault. Like, I'm going to the store. Remember, I'm going to the store not to just get out of the house and go have a mani-pedi, but I'm going to the store to buy your groceries. So she goes to the store. I'm doing the dad thing. I put him in front of the television. I'm just kidding. But, but, but they decide it's, it's one of those days in Houston where it's bearable to be outside, kind of like every day you have here in Southern California. So they go outside to play. And I I know that they're having fun because it's been a while since I've seen them and they're not coming and bugging me about like entertaining them because that's what tends to happen to my kids. I've told my son, Athen, my oldest son, I tell him, I am not your cruise ship director. Like anytime you're bored, you don't come to me and say, dad, what can we do? Why don't you give me a suggestion and I'm all in? So this is one of those moments where they figured it out on their own. They go outside. I can tell they're having fun because I haven't seen him in a while. And my youngest son is five, and he hasn't made his way outside yet, which is good because I have to go outside and, you know, manage him. He's a little different creature than the others. So finally, my two oldest boys come back inside, and they're sweaty, right? And they're like out of breath, like, Dad, you got to see this. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be good. Now, if, if he comes inside and says to my mom, his mom or my wife, Mom, you got to see this. She's like, oh, no, what have you done? Who's not okay? What did you break? What rules are, are in violation? You're like, she is all freaking out. But I'm like, as dad, I'm like, okay, cool. So I go outside, and my kids say, we've invented a new game, which makes every dad happy. And they've gotten the wagon And they're in our driveway, and our driveway kind of slopes down to a street. And they get in the wagon, and they they said, we have a name for it. We call it Papacito. And in Texas, that's just a a Mexican food restaurant. I think Papacito kind of means like little dad, if if you will. So I'm not sure why they came up with little dad. Maybe they're making fun of me. But they said, dad, just watch. And so they get up at the top of the driveway and they run like they're in a luge next to the wagon. And at the last second, they both jump into the wagon, now that it's going full speed, flying down the driveway. And then they yell, Papacito! Well, my driveway goes to a street, like a cross street. And then across the street's my neighbor's house. And they have a curb in front of their, like, yard. So at some point, I don't know, I'm watching this like, this is all, and I start to realize they need to figure out an exit plan. 
But they told me they'd done this a lot of times. They ended up okay. So, like, I'm, I'm taking them at their word, right? I mean, they're, they're responsible. They're 12 and, and, and 9. They get to the end of the driveway. It careens into the street. I see them both start to stand up. And at the very last second, they bail out of the wagon into the grass, and the wagon goes end over end into the neighbor's yard. And I was like, that's awesome. Hadn't crossed my mind yet how wife would respond to this. And now my daughter and my youngest are outside watching this. And my daughter, she says, Daddy, this isn't okay. My daughter, right? I think she takes after my wife. So what do I do? I say, oh, boy. Okay, y'all go back up at the top. I'm going to do this in slow motion now. I want y'all to do that again in slow motion. We're like, we can't do that in slow motion. I said, no, I'm going to film it in slow motion. I'm going to send it to your mom. What am I thinking? So I get down there. I film their papacito. It's epic. They're coming across the street. I'm like, wait till the very last second. I want to get the wagon flipping over end. And then I film them like jumping out of the wagon, falling into the grass. I send it to my wife. She sends back a text with an angry face. What the hell? I'm like, you're right. They don't have helmets on. So I go into the garage. I get them helmets, go back up at the top. We're going to do this again. And I'm doing, look, this is how responsible I am as a dad. I realize it's a street, so, like, I'm running interference. I'm kneeling in the street, like, taking one for the team. If a car comes, they're going to see me or they're going to hit me first. So I'm filming them. On this run, I hear behind me, honk. My wife left the cart of groceries at the grocery store and drove home to save her children from their father. I just need to take a poll from you. Raise your hand if that was good dad material. Notice all the guys raise their hand. Raise your hand if that was, you know, at least sketchy dad material, if not bad dad material. And then there was all the women. Okay, so we've proven that. Fine, on the way home, we'll have a debate as to whether that happens again. So a little bit about me. We're not just going to talk about me as a dad or a good dad or not. I'm from a little country um, just to the east of here, you might have seen our flag before. It looks kind of like this. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, and this is how I know how good God is. Because in the middle of the biggest tragedy Houston experienced just over a year ago, here's a picture of that moment. This was Hurricane Harvey basically a year ago. And I know Southern California knows its own share of hardships with the wildfires that have also ravaged your lands. But here's how I know how good God is, because not a month later from this, uh, this happened. Oh, is it not there? Well, that didn't happen a month later, because that happened over a long period of time. But here's what I know. <laughs> we'll get into that. I love my wife a lot. But what happened was the Astros won the World Series. Yeah. And I was here to tell you how good God was until I looked in the uh, eighth inning and we're down four to nothing. But here's how I know that Houston is good. It's because we like to share with others. So we're going to give the L.A. Dodgers a chance this year. We're going to bow out early to the Red Sox tonight just to give L.A. a clear path. San Diego fans, we're with you. We're just going to say, wait till next year, right? Yeah, wait till next year. But that picture, this is my clan now. Let me just show you a picture of our clan, the one that just uh, was up there on the screen. That, that's my clan uh, that you saw. That's my wife and I. 
with our four children in the house, two of the Papacito instigators, my daughter of clear reason, and the one that I'm not sure came from the same family as me is Kieran. He's the little guy. And I will tell you that as a dad, as a Christian man, they teach me more about the goodness of God than anything I've learned in a classroom. Because the goodness of God is one of those things, I believe, like goodness, if you think about the term by itself, it's nothing like the terms we like to use in Catholic theology, like transubstantiation, hypostatic union. It's goodness. And the word goodness to us, we use it for so many things, even this greeting, like, so how was your day, son? It was good. We use it for just about everything. But it says so much more, I think, than we give it credit for or even know ourselves. Even when we sing a song like, you're a good, good father, that almost seems plain if we don't know the the meaning behind goodness and its connection like you heard last week to things like beauty, and then next week you'll hear more about about truth. So tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit about this middle word, goodness, And why it is so pivotal for us as believers today to understand because it's who we are also. So let me get a little metaphysical on you here for a second. So everybody put your like academic metaphysical hats on for just a second. There are three transcendental properties of being. Truth, goodness, and beauty. And by transcendental, it means like there's something about being that says we are true, beautiful, and good. There's something about God's being that says he's true, beautiful, and good. But there's also something bigger beyond us that's not about what we do, but it's about us fulfilling what we were created to do to ultimately become goodness itself. And we're never going to arrive at that, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we go. But I want to put this uh, slide up for you. Peter Kreft, he's a Catholic philosopher. This is what he says about these connections. He says, truth is good and beautiful. Goodness is true and beautiful. Beauty is true and good. But there is an ontological, not temporal, ontological meaning beyond us, not something we just experience here. This isn't about our actions, but something beyond us that's even greater than us. It's an ontological order. It flows from being to truth, truth to goodness, and goodness to beauty. Truth is judged by being, goodness by truth, and beauty by goodness. Now, all of you are like, Matt, I've had three beers. That made no sense. So I like to think of it this way. Truth is about your will. Truth is about your will. About a knowledge and an ability to know. Truth is about your will. Goodness is about your desire. And beauty is about your heart. That's why all three of these are so wrapped up, right? Because how often do we say, I'm just going to use my thinking brain today and not the rest of my body. Or I'm just going to use my heart today and not use my head. That's why these are so wrapped up together between your will, your desire, and your heart. And today, we're going to talk a little bit more. We're going to dive into desire here in just a second so I can, we can see that goodness and desire are so wrapped up together, they can't be separated. But here's a way to think about goodness. 
still in this metaphysical world. Like, how many of you have ever used a pair of scissors before? Probably today, some of you, right? So scissors by themselves, they have a purpose. And we say they're good scissors if they do what? If they cut good, right? That's how I'd say it in Texas. So like, if the scissors work like they're supposed to, then they're good. But for things like scissors, if they don't work well, what do we do with them? Throw them out. Now, maybe some of you are like, I'm going to fix these scissors and make them real good. And so you're going to work at this for a long time. But if the scissors aren't good, you throw them out because you know exactly what the purpose is. When I do this with them, they're supposed to do a thing. And if you can't find scissors, you don't learn around a house going, okay, um, maybe some matches. Those will help me instead. Because those have their own purpose. But we would never substitute matches for scissors unless you're my five-year-old. Then you would not, then you would probably do that. But what about for me as a father? That's not quite as cut and dry. Pardon the pun. It's not quite as cut and dry for me to know, like, am I a father? Am I fulfilling my purpose as a dad? That has to be answered a little bit differently than for the pair of scissors. So there's two things about scissors or goodness or people. And here's what it is. There's a goodness in and of itself. So you, as a human being, have a goodness by yourself because of how you were created. But you also have a goodness to fulfill your purpose in relationship to other people. So you might think you're the best human on the planet, but then everybody else at your table can't stand you. That's not the case here, I know. But there's a goodness that's innate just to us and a goodness that we are called to in relation to other people. For instance, back to me as a dad. I'm only good as a dad in relation to my children. I can't say I'm a good dad if I don't have children. Right? So there's a relationship for me as a dad. So for me to be a good dad, here's what I believe. I don't have to ask my wife. I can ask my children. I can give them lots of candy, and then they think I'm a good dad. Probably still not fulfilling my desire Uh, to be a good dad or their desire to have a good dad. But also with my wife, like I'm a good husband in relation to my wife. You're a good coworker in relation to your coworkers. You're a good student in relation to your teachers and the rest of the class. So there's a relational aspect to goodness that we can't overlook. So let me just start at the beginning. This is how God said he set things up to be good. He gave us, the Lord gives us the scriptures and there's two creation stories in the scriptures, right? So there's one creation story. The first one we read in the Bible has an order to it. What does this one look like? What's, give, me, give me an example of what the first creation story, how the, the, the outline of that story looks. How's it look, Bible scholars? Day by day. On day one, he created. On day two, he created. And what did he say during each day? It was good. He looked at what he did, and it was good. And then the sixth day rolls around, and he finally got around to us, right? He finally creates us. We wore him out so much, the next day he had to take a nap. But then on day six, he looked at everything after he created you and I, and what did he say about it now? It was very good. So we know at the beginning that we were created differently than the animals, So then the second creation story comes along, and this is what I love the second creation story because it talks about relationships. 
And the second creation story is a little bit different, of course. It makes God more like a mover in the garden, not like he's up here just giving commands and things are created. It doesn't have quite the structure, but he's in a more intimate relationship with mankind. He also creates Adam at the beginning of creation, not at the end. And this is what it says, chapter 2, for those of you reading along in your Bibles. Verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So we know in the, the beginning of creation, it was not good for you and I to be alone. We are creating a relationship. And then it says, I will make a suitable partner for him. Now, you and I know God could have cut to the chase and not created all these animals and given them to Adam. It was almost like he wanted Adam to know when he finally created Eve, what a beautiful creation woman was for him. So he brings them like animals and he says, Adam, you're going to get to name them. You get to pick out a suitable partner. So he's creating hippos and giraffes and toucans. And obviously we know none of these are going to work. And then he creates woman. Casts a deep sleep on the man. And while he was asleep, he took out one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. The Lord God then built up into a woman the rib that he had taken from the man. When he brought her to the man, this one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called, whoa, man. That's not my joke. For out of her, man, this one has been taken. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and the two become one body. At the very beginning, God knew it was not good for man to be alone. And he created suitable relational partners for all of us. Because out of his goodness, we reflect who he is. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about my daughter, Anna Tess, because she, she's sweet and salty. So let's just start with this. Where are, like, you know, your dads tell you ladies, where are sweet ladies in the room? Like, that's what someone's told you. You're sweet. You're sweet. But watch this. Where are salty ladies in the room? They more, like, available, you know, they raise their hands more quickly than the sweet ladies. Anna Tess would have raised her hand for both of those. And we all know, right, like, this is the perfect combination. And here's a picture of her. She is spunky. And I try and explain things of faith to her, and very, very regularly she says to me, Daddy, I don't get it. So she tries to use these same arguments, like explaining things using another way with me. So I'm not a dog fan. Anybody not a dog fan here? Like, give me, make me not feel alone. Okay, everybody in here likes dogs but me. Okay, I don't like dogs a lot, but I'm an Anna Tess fan, and I'll do just about anything on the planet for her, so I got her a dog. That's what a good father does, right? Doesn't like dogs, gives her a dog anyway, okay? Thank you. You're allowed to clap for that. That's, that's a great thing. I'm really proud of that. So we got her a dog. And then one day she says to me, Daddy, why don't you like dogs? Um, I don't know, honey. Like, it's probably because I always have to take care of them. And I have to pick up the poop. And I have to uh, buy it food. And I have to do, I have to sweep. 
and it gets on my stuff, and it tears up my socks, and it just doesn't ever do anything for me. So for me, a good dog would, like, get the paper, get the, like what you see in cartoons, right? That's a good dog. But that's never what it looks like when we have a dog. And then she says, but you like beards, don't you? I'm like, well, yeah. She says, you know that dogs are just walking beards. I don't know what to do with that. So I made the mistake as a dad. This is not a good dad moment. I made the mistake as a dad. I said, honey, do you love the dog more than me? Who does that? Do you love the dog more than you love daddy? And sweet little salty Anna Tess says, no. The same, equal. <laughs> I'll tell her you clapped for that. That's great. So even like I'm trying to explain things of faith with my children, we use things to compare. We use metaphors to compare that with. And the only way we know goodness is in relation to other things. Like I explain a pair of scissors or in relation to other people. Here's what the church says about goodness. Based on the scripture passage I just gave you, this slide says from the catechism number 41, All creatures bear a certain resemblance to God, most especially man. Created in the image and likeness of God, the manifold perfections of creatures, their truth, their goodness, and their beauty, all reflect the infinite perfection of God. When's the last time you kind of soaked in the fact that you are a reflection of God? Most of us like to beat ourselves up for the things we're not doing right. Most of us have bought into the lies that someone else has said about us or that our worth is only as good as our functionality is. Or we take that last broken relationship we had in our lives and we've now used that to establish our entire worth as a human being. But when's the last time you took to heart that you somehow realized there was a truth in there that you couldn't explain away that says, God bless you, that you are a reflection of God and that because God, God bless you, sneeze four times like my son, that's awesome, (laughs) that you are a reflection of God and that your goodness is because he created you that way. Catechism also says many uh, references later. This is number 2,500. And the reason I put that up is the first one's 41. The next one's 2,500. says, the practice of goodness is accompanied by spontaneous spiritual joy and moral beauty. That when we realize that goodness is in our lives and we start living that way, the fruits are spontaneous spiritual joy and moral beauty. You want more joy in your life? Want to know your beauty. Practice goodness. Goodness is just living out who you are as a human. There's a book, if you're into reading, called Good to Great, written by Jim Collins. And in this book, he talks about how so many companies can arrive at good and never get to great. Take Blockbuster movies, for instance. How many of you have rented a movie at Blockbuster lately? 
How many of you went to Kodak and bought film recently? They were good companies. They were market leaders in their fields at one time. They were good. But see, Blockbuster said, we're not in the entertainment business. We're in the movie rental business. Until streaming came out and put them out of business. Kodak was in the film business. Not the capturing moments or pictures business. See, good to great takes us seeing beyond our current reality. Seeing beyond this current relationship maybe you're in. Seeing beyond this current job you're in. Seeing beyond what's happening in your life now to realize God wants to show you what great is. And C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis says, a great man knows he is not God, and the greater he is, the better he knows it. He then called God, we're talking about these transcendental properties of being, you know, goodness, truth and beauty. C.S. Lewis called God the transcendental interferer. The transcendental interferer. He breaks into our existence. He raises us up and he makes us good to great. He calls all of us to become saints. The only way, church, for us to be saints is to access the goodness that God has created in us. To live it out in our lives and wait for that moment when we face the Lord in heaven to say we have arrived at greatness. That's how we go from good to great. So we know this because as Catholics we go to Mass. And here's what I, uh, I, I like this comparison. We go to Mass and when we go to Mass and they bring the gifts up. We bring good gifts up. Simple gifts. Bread and wine. And what happens on that altar is good to great. They're perfected into the Eucharist. We see simple gifts become good to great. And here, here's the challenge for us the next time we're at Mass. I want you also to picture yourselves coming up with those gifts. Because this is a symbol, not just of our gifts, but as like a token of our gifts. Because our very lives are supposed to enter the church, go up on that altar, end up on that altar. And the same thing that happens to that bread and wine is supposed to happen to us. We bring our brokenness and our simplicity and our goodness to the Lord, and he makes it great. He transforms it. I'm going to give you a goodness plan. Some of us like practical things, right? So I want to just give you Matt's goodness plan tonight. First thing about goodness is desire. I want you to know that desire is good. That without us having a desire, like if I said to you tonight, hey, right after my talk, we're going to serve your favorite dessert. Some of you don't hear another word I say, and you go outside and you line up for dessert. Because we all have a desire for good things, a dessert, a conversation, a significant other. Ultimately, every one of those desires is a foretaste of our ultimate desire for God. So desire is a good thing. Now, does it go sideways sometimes on us? And when things like addictions happen in our lives, that's where desire becomes something that has control over us rather than something that propels us. So desire by itself is good, and that's how God lets us hunger for him. The other thing is love. So desire is the first thing, to know that we have them and to follow our desires and to discern those we need love. And love is a choice. We like when the butterflies and the emotions follow love, right? Makes it a little easier to, like, love somebody. But I'll tell you, like, uh, I'm probably hard to love sometimes. 
I mean, just ask my wife. Like, she doesn't see me every day and get warm fuzzies like, oh my gosh, the man of my dreams has come home from work. But she still loves me because she has chosen to love me. She's chosen to sacrifice to love me. So first is desire, second is love, to choose it, to choose it, even when the emotions don't follow. When you're having trouble praying, choose it. When you're having trouble forgiving, choose it. Love is a choice. And we see that from the Lord on the cross. And I'll tell you, um, how many of you have been to a wedding in the last year? Anybody been to a wedding last year? So here's my favorite. Like the second reading is normally like from St. Paul to the Corinthians chapter 13. Some of you probably picked it at your wedding. It's not a bad wedding reading, but it's the one where you ask your Aunt Bertha to come up and read, and you're kneeling up here, and she comes up, and she can hardly get the words out because she's looking at y'all, and she starts to cry. And she's like, love is patient. Love is kind. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Love never fails. You've seen it, right? You know what I'm talking about. Do you know how St. Paul probably preached that to the people of Corinth? Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envious. It doesn't boast over wrongdoing. Love endures. It sees all things. Love never fails. Now, I'm not asking you to, like, ask me to come read that at your reading and act like that because people probably throw me out. But St. Paul was telling people to choose it because they weren't living it. Not because it was going to make a good wedding verse. So love is something that we choose, and we know we choose it when it's hard. Because when Jesus hung on that cross, I don't think he had lots of warm fuzzies. He had other things he was feeling in his body. But it wasn't this great, like, "Ah, this is easy. He chose it because it was hard. Out of total love for you and I, because his desire was ultimately for your heart and mine. And finally, freedom. So we have desire, we have love, and finally, freedom. That we have the freedom, if we're living out of love and following our desires, to follow our conscience, to follow our faith, to follow the Lord's plan in our lives. See, St. John Paul II said, freedom isn't doing what you want. It's having the ability to do what you ought. Freedom with love and desire, is fulfilling God's plan for goodness. Now, self-mastery, which the catechism talks a lot about, is not a completed project. We're going to fail. And we got to keep on keeping on and come back to it and not believe the lies and we fall that I'm not good and it's over and I don't need to try anymore, but to come back and continue to fight for perfection. And here's how I know that the Lord is good on his promise. It's because he gives us this other thing that undoes all of the things that we do. And it's called mercy. It's called mercy. Another choice like love and forgiveness. His goodness is so good. And it doesn't require us to be perfect. Instead, he invites us back over and over again when we are not good or don't fulfill 
our goodness as creatures, as humans. And as St. Faustina said in her diaries, more than 16 times she referred to mercy as an ocean. Now, I've been on the beach myself in, in Texas, the, the Gulf. You guys on the Pacific here have a va- much more vast view of the ocean and how vast it is. But that's what God's mercy looks like. It looks like an ocean. So it never runs out. And we also have sacramental access to his mercy through the sacrament of reconciliation. That's another way that the church is in the mercy business. Love, mercy, and forgiveness are all qualities of God himself. And he calls us not just to experience them, but also to love, to forgive, and show mercy. I want to tell you a little story as I start to close here about my son Beckett. Beckett is my uh, nine-year-old, the the other instigator in Papacito. And Beckett wants to be a priest. Beckett wants to be a priest. He's got a fiery little personality like his dad. He's got a warm heart like his mom. And he has the deepest faith that I've experienced at a boy this age that I can't possibly imagine how I could have made any of that possible. But I watch God at work in my nine-year-old as he teaches me things about being a dad. And we were at a conference in San Antonio, Texas. It was a conference that I was speaking at, and it was a water park. So, like, perfect opportunity. Bring my family. Let them do their thing. Speak at the conference. Have a great time. Conference is over. We're going to the car. We have one of those those rolling luggage racks. You know those? With all of our luggage for three days, which would have, like, we could have stayed there a month. And all of my children were, like, walking out to the parking lot, right? It's a Catholic conference, so there's families everywhere. We get all the way out to the van. We load all the luggage in. We pile all the kids in. We start counting chairs. Beckett's not in the car. And my wife and I look through the swagger wagon doors. That's what we call a minivan. We look through the swagger wagon doors at each other. And at the same time, we say, I thought you had Beckett. Beckett's not with us. Moment of panic for me. I go running back to that facility. And my son, Athen, the oldest, is like, I'm coming with you, Dad. I felt like we were, like, charging, you know, into battle. And we go running back to the facility, walk in the front doors of this resort. And my son says, Dad, let's go to the, like, front desk and tell them we're looking for a little boy about this tall. And I said, Athen, we're at a Catholic conference. There's a thousand of those. And so then I'm thinking, you know what we need to do? We got to go to the most dangerous place first and look for Beckett. So we go to that lazy river that's full of inner tubes and people. I'm like watching bodies come by, like praying. I'm not seeing Beckett. And we don't see him. We're like, where else could he be that's really dangerous? And so we go run into the like surfboard park area and we're looking and I don't see him. And then finally my son says, Athens says, Dad, I remember where we last saw him. We were at the park. So we go running around the corner to this park. And as I turn the corner, I can see the park and I see a tetherball pole. You know what that is? Like a pole with a ball on a string. And sitting right at the base of that pole is a little boy. And so I go running to that pole. I go tearing across this field. I'm sure people wonder why I was running like, like I was. And I go run into this field. As I get close, I realize it's Beckett. And I just go charging into Beckett. And I like slide in and pick him up. And I just hug him. And he says to me, Daddy, you left me. 
It's like, I know, son. I know. I'm so sorry. And I start to like cry in this moment. I'm like so happy to see him and feeling so guilty as a dad. And then he turns to me and says, Daddy, it's okay. Because I knew you'd come back. See, that's what a good dad does. He comes back for his kid. Because I was feeling like a really lousy dad five minutes before, and I was already painting this terrible picture. My wife and I had already lost one child in the middle of the night. She didn't wake up from a fever and a cough. So I knew the pain of losing a child, and I just had this terrible nightmare of what it would look like to lose Beckett. And I was feeling like a really bad dad. And then my son looks at me and says, I knew you'd come back. Because that's what a good dad does. And our Father in heaven is so good that he's got a plan for all of us. He already sent Jesus to come back for us. That's his plan. He doesn't have a plan B for you. His plan is for you and I to know the goodness of God and to fall on the mercy of God and and accept his forgiveness when we fall and turn back to that good Father and become who we were created to be. That's the goodness of God that's stamped in each of us. You're good because he created you. And he's created you for greatness. And this isn't some sort of like rah-rah speech, like, yay, I'm good and great. It's just reality. It's the truth. And it's beautiful. So just close your eyes for a second. And if it's still hard for you to know that you're good or believe you're created to be great, I want you just right now as we close here in prayer to picture someone in your life that's an example of goodness. When I say a good human, picture that person's face now. Is that one of your parents, a mom or dad, your significant other, one of your children? co-worker, a youth minister, a priest, someone in this room. And who in your life is the biggest challenge? It's not the person's face that you put on goodness, but that person in your life that like seems like the thorn in your side or the challenge or the one that tells you you're not good. So standing right next to each other in your mind, there is this example of goodness and this challenge to goodness. And in what way tonight is God challenging you to be good to someone, to show them their goodness, even if that person's yourself? Who's that person that you need to show goodness So in this weird relationship that's going on in your mind right now, that's where Jesus wants to enter right now, tonight. Goodness himself. And I believe he needs to do something with our hearts. I believe he needs to remind us of our goodness. 
I believe he needs to challenge us to be good. And I believe we need to see his face to become great. So now I just want you to focus on the Lord, on his face, on his goodness. Lord Jesus, we know that we fail. I know many times in my life I'm not enough, but you are. And so tonight I'm just claiming on behalf of everybody here, I'm just going to state the truth, Lord, that you are not just good, but you've created me to be good and want me to be great. You want me to be a saint. So tonight, reveal your goodness to me. Reveal my identity as a son or daughter of goodness himself. Because this is the truth, and it's beautiful, and we want to be part of it. Let's sing together again this truth about God as our good, good Father. I hope you enjoyed that talk from San Diego Theology on Tap. My name is Pamela Poe, and I'm the Associate Director for the Office of Young Adult Ministry here in San Diego. We would love to see you at our future diocesan young adult events. If you are new to the area, looking to get connected and grow deeper in your faith, we would love to connect you to a young adult group here in San Diego. You can reach out to us via our website, yamsd.org, Instagram at Yam San Diego or Facebook. Thanks again for listening. God bless you, and I hope to see you soon.